You're listening to the RCF Podcast. I'm here today with Jim Soule. He's one of the pastors of Quidneset Baptist Church in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. You've been on before. I have, Matt, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It's always uh, a delight to fellowship with you, and I'm excited uh, about what's happening at URI with you and your wife, Alice, and, and just the faithfulness. So again, thanks for having me with you. Thank you. Today, our topic is on grace. And specifically, I want to talk about how we misunderstand or even misuse grace. I, I wanted to open us with this verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says that we are no longer under law, but under grace. So if we're thinking about how we misuse grace, that's the first verse that comes to mind. I hear this quoted often. If we're no longer under law, but under grace, does that mean we can just live however we want to live? You talk like you're the audience that Paul writes to in the Romans, because in the opening, <laughs> Context matters, right? It, does, it matters a lot. And you see that the Jews, because that was a mixed congregation in Rome, probably 60% Gentile, 40% Jew, and they were just coming back together. So they had some, some serious reservations about the gospel in relationship to the law. So the apostle would ask a lot of rhetorical questions, such as, what? Are you crazy? Grace is not a license. It's not a license to ignore the law. And I think when you look at the law, one, we can't successfully preach the gospel without the law, but we need to understand that the law is authoritative and that it doesn't get removed just because we become Christians. It becomes still the standard, but as Paul would say in Romans 7, we delight in the law. And so then it gives us a greater appreciation for that, which in turn gives us a greater appreciation for the grace of God. But the people, Christians in particular, who think that they could just do what they want to do because they're under grace and not under law, they fail to understand quite a few things. Mm -hmm. They fail to understand the nature of God. They fail to understand the nature of sin, the nature of the gospel. And they're also being duped by much of contemporary Christianity. Exactly. Yeah, I wonder how many of our listeners actually caught that I didn't read the entire verse. And I strategically didn't do that because I, th I think we hear that, hey, I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace, so can't judge me on this, I, I can do whatever I want. But actually the first part of that verse says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we're not to continue living in sin, right? That's not what grace is. Yeah, I, I chuckled when you didn't uh, read the first of the verse because <laughs> I was going to fill that in for you. But no, I, what you said is so good because we have a tendency, even in our flesh, we will go to the latter part of the verse and mm -hmm. not the former part. And he said, for sin will have no dominion over you. If you were to put me in a corner and, and say, what is the most important chapter of the Bible for Christians to learn the Christian life? I would say Romans 6, because Romans 6 sets the stage stage for understanding our union in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, which allows us to understand that the law is not laid aside. In fact, in Christ's life and death, we have his passive and his active obedience. The passive, obviously, the death on the, on the cross for the penalty of the broken law, but then his life, which is the active obedience fulfilling the law. So the law is good. And Paul would further on to say that the law is not bad. The Jews would say, well, then if all this is being said, you say the law does this, does this, and is negative, uh, the law must not be good. And Paul says, no, 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 the law is good. Because if you get back to it, Matt, the law reveals the character of God. Mm -hmm. It reveals who he is, and it really reveals the requirements that we are to have to have a relationship with God. 
And then after you're converted and you have the Spirit of God, then the law becomes such a delight that you want to fulfill all those. And you want to live in accordance with the law. And when you fall, you have that high priest and the imputed righteousness of Christ, which has already fulfilled the law. But we're always pursuing, never gaining. And that itself uh, is an encouragement because the law has been fulfilled within him. But it's not a license to live as you want to. If you truly understand grace, that is not the first thing you're going to think in your mind. Right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a great book called The Cost of Discipleship in which he talks about cheap grace. And he says it's not really grace at all. He calls it cheap grace. It's grace without a price, without a cost. And he says that the essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. So we can do whatever we want because the the price has already been paid. But he actually, he goes on to say, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. I thought that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. I would encourage your readers to read that. I was uh, I had thought about him in, in preparation for our talk. Is that and the thing that struck me is that cheap grace is grace without discipleship. And I think mm-hmm. what we're missing largely is the discipleship. Is that you got this cheap grace, which is no grace, that produces a false gospel. Then you're dealing with things like decisional regeneration, and there's no transformation, and people have a false sense of assurance because they say, "Well, I believe in Christ, I believe in God, and so I must be good," and so they live like they want to, thinking that they have this assurance or this... Uh, because they made a decision exactly. at one point, I, went forward, prayed a prayer. Exactly. Did, and yeah. I think a lot of that comes from Phineism and the uh, and the new methods and this idea of just, I come to Christ and I take him on my terms and discipleship is more of a convenience in my life. And I think that when you look at like John 14, where Jesus would tell the disciples, let not chart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. That's not a generic belief, which I think a lot of Christians have. To believe in God, you must believe in the whole revelation of him. Jesus isn't telling his disciples just to have this vague substance. He's saying, no God is creator. No God is the authoritative person in your life. No God as the one who provides redemption. Uh, believe in Christ, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. There is no parsing him. And I think chief grace allows us to our own peril and deception is to cut Christ in half. Well, mm-hmm. he's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's just a false understanding of what grace has done in redemption. Mm -hmm. It produces a license to do what you want to do and then always run back to this 1 John 1, 9, and it's not a blank check. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. There's a condition with that, and the condition is that, as you said earlier, Matt, is repentance. It means that we confess and we turn. And so with that, we have to understand that it's not just a generic belief in the God of grace. It is specific by his revelation of himself in the scripture as well as his son. Amen. Well, let's talk about, we know the error now of this is how we misunderstand what grace is. Let's talk about what grace is, Uh, not just what it is not, but okay, it's not license. Grace doesn't mean I can just do anything that I want to do because God will forgive it. That's a misuse. 
So what is grace then? How do we define grace? Yeah, I find that oftentimes we use words and we talk about them so freely, and yet we really haven't taken the necessary time to bore down Mm -hmm. and to meditate. Exactly. You hear the familiar term, grace is uh, God riches at Christ's expense. And, you know, okay, that holds some water, but you need to bore down on that too. What is grace? It's that the simplicity but yet the complexity of God solving the great dilemma between man and himself by sending Christ, unmerited, undeserved, unearned anything by us, that he would look down upon his enemies and out of the abundance of his favor, he would give us in Christ the ability through new birth to fulfill our created purpose. And I think if we don't connect grace to what our creative purpose is in life, then we'll have a tendency to drift into this license we've talked about. And if you understand salvation, salvation isn't just removing God's wrath. Salvation is a reconciliation with the Creator who now has become your Heavenly Father. So we're in a better position than Adam was before the fall. Is it now we know a redeeming grace that brings us into a familiar relationship that I don't want to live loose. I don't want to live contrary to his desire because I now have a relationship with the Father and with the Son that produces an intimacy through the Spirit. And so grace is that empowerment outside of myself that allows me to understand that my purpose in life is to live for his glory, to live to enjoy him fully, to conform to his image, and that through the empowerment of grace that I would obey his commands. Not out of a sense of a have to, but a sense I get to, which reaffirms Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Because understanding grace means I understand the depth of my sin. I understand I deserve hell, and yet... God has intervened and saved me from hell, and and not just done that. He has given me every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have an inheritance in Christ now, and when I understand that... Yeah, how can I go on living just however I was living? Yeah, and I think that's uh, that really is the essence of that, yeah. is we don't have a good understanding of what salvation has really done. Is it salvation, this outpouring of grace, is God choosing from before the foundation of the world a forever family that would enjoy Him, that would delight in Him, and He in turn delighting in us. And when grace, that starts to settle into your heart, I believe it produces such a humility and even a beatitude type of heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn because you see that grace is so overwhelming that he knows how bad I am. He knows how much I'm going to mess up, but yet he continues to pour over this grace in me. And so hopefully I won't be, uh, I won't achieve sinless perfection in this life, but I will sin less in this life as I understand more of grace. And I think it's interesting in Ephesians chapter one, and you quoted the spiritual blessings. He says that we would be under the praise of his glory. He says it twice, but then he says we would be unto the praise of his glorious grace. So in essence, we get a picture of the Father seeing us as trophies of grace given to the Son that we will be forever on display as trophies of that grace on the mantle of heaven, so to speak. And when you start understanding that, then it makes you want to be those shining trophies of grace now to a watching world. Another verse that comes to mind is Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He keeps going there, but I wanted to focus in on, he basically says there in verse 11, grace Mm -hmm. trains us, 11 and 12, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So can you expound a little bit on that? What is Paul talking about there? Because I think this is important as we understand grace, and what we're saying is grace does not allow us just to live however we want, but it actually causes us, trains us to live in such a way that pleases God. That's that's an excellent point, Matt, is grace is not just a passive thing that we receive. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it enables us, and we are responsible. Remember what Paul says to the Corinthians? He says, I am what I am by the grace of God, yet I worked harder than anyone else, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. That's one of those uh, head-scratching verses. You think, wait a minute, it's all of grace, but yet Paul says, I worked harder than anyone, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And I think that's one of those, those mysteries where he says in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. That is a discipline of practice, uh, training just like in anything, whether it be in athletics, whether it be in whatever discipline you want. It requires a self-discipline and self-control and a repetitiveness that you learn how to live the Christian life empowered by grace. And the Christian life is just that, renouncing what you were to what you are. Uh, I remember so many times in the Navy is that we would do drill after drill after drill. We would train and train and train ad nauseum. And I kept thinking, when are we going to be done with these things? And the point was, is to get it so it becomes such a reaction that when it's real, like a fire at sea, that's what we would train for. And I've been at ships, we had fires at sea, and it was just a reaction, and we were able to. So training in the Christian life is so important. And if you had the, the picture of grace, of just, well, God gives me grace, I'm saved, now I'm good to go. No, grace is not only we receive passively in salvation, but we actively put it into the practice of obedience. And if you look at obedience as simply something, a moral code of conduct, you're missing the whole point. Obedience is us obeying out of the empowerment of grace to fulfill our divine purpose. Yeah, and if grace is supposed to train us to live a godly life— then what happens if we have a wrong view of grace? Well, then what's going to happen is it's going to lead to that either one, the abuse, or you're going to try to earn by works. And so either way, it's going to put you on bad sides of the the false definitions of grace. I think if you're not convinced that you got to go to the gymnasium and work out hard grace in your life, then you're failing to understand the demands of the gospel. And I think that's another reason why grace is so misunderstood today is because we are not preaching from our pulpits the demands of the gospel. And I know uh, you and Alice did a, a podcast on legalism. Mm-hmm. And so for us to call out to God's people obedience, that's not legalism, that's Christianity. And I think what happens is that we have not preached the demands of the gospel. And the demands of the gospel isn't that you earn God's faith. The demands of the gospel is since you have God's favor by grace, here's what you're called to do. If anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross, means of suffering, deny himself, the means of self-denial, and follow me. If you don't, those are all really the, the highways of grace so to speak. I heard a a quote, and I can't remember exactly where I found it, but I I remember he was talking about the tendency that we have toward legalism. And he said, the other pitfall 
is license, you know, that all grace, it doesn't matter how we live, um, God will forgive. And, and he talked about both of those pitfalls. And what I really liked was he said that the gospel is not trying to, to meet in the middle there. It's not, I'm just trying not to be too legalistic or give too much license. But he said the gospel is something altogether different. Mm. And I thought that that was really helpful because these two pitfalls that we fall into, we have to realize that they actually are completely different gospels. It is a completely different gospel to say that you earn your way to heaven, legalism, right? But it's also a completely different gospel to say it's all grace. It doesn't matter how you live. God will forgive anything. Just keep going, and it doesn't matter. That, that's a different gospel. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a false gospel either way. I, and how do we safeguard ourselves from these things? I think oftentimes we drift away from the disciplines of the spiritual life. Donald Whitney has Donald written Whitney, yeah. great books on that. People think, well, the, the spiritual disciplines, that's a form of legalism too. And actually, I would argue that if you're not committed to the spiritual disciplines, you're not going to understand grace and you're not going to even live the life of grace. But what we have to understand is at the end goal is Paul's testimony testimony of Philippians 3.10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If we can keep that in the lens of Hebrews 12.1 and 2, you know, looking unto Jesus, the problem is, is we get distracted from looking unto him, and then we're in no man's land, and then grace can either go to either side of the ditch, as you just said. If we keep our eyes on the, the fountain of all grace, then it will safeguard us, and we'll be able to keep the vertical that will allow us to live the horizontal in the power of His grace. But the key there is for us as teachers and preachers is to always draw people back to the person of Jesus Christ, and that in John's gospel, when he comes out and says, and the Word became flesh, and we beheld Him full of grace and truth. And so if we can keep our eyes on Jesus, and that is the simple, not easy, but simple call of the Christian— then I think we're going to have our understanding of grace deepen and we're going to safeguard ourselves from those two pitfalls of, of the false understanding of grace and the gospel. Well, I know we're about out of time. Any last words? Anything that you, you would encourage a college student as they're struggling to understand, here's God's grace, here's what, what it is. I want to have a, a right view of, of grace. Well, I think first is plead God for it. Go into your closet and plead God. Mm -hmm. Teach me. And read good books. There are some good books out there that are saturated with the scriptures in regards to this. Uh, we talked about Jerry Bridges a little bit. Yeah, The Discipline uh, of Grace is actually an excellent book. And there's one, Transforming yeah. Grace. Oh, yeah. And it talks about the transforming power of God's love, yeah. which is inseparable to the grace. So I would say have your listeners uh, talk to you because you're a reader <laughs> as well as your wife and, and recommend good, solid readings because if you're not a reader you're not a grower yeah. and in order to do that you got to commit to that so pray ask God to show you more uh, immerse yourself in good books immerse yourself in the scriptures and and plead to know more of Christ the yeah. fountain of all grace that's good yeah and as you dig into the scriptures I would encourage you to look for every time that God says the word grace and look at that context and so just as we talked about from Romans 6 how that is misconstrued mm. because people only take part of the verse look at the context in which grace is mentioned you'll find a lot of explanation about what grace is and how we are to live just go through the Bible and highlight the word grace hey the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible yeah. so Amen. hey thanks for having me Matt it's been a joy being with you thanks Jim and thank you for listening to the RCF podcast 
If you have questions about what you've heard, you can always reach us at podcast at roadiefellowship.com. And if you'd like more information on Rody Christian Fellowship, visit us on our website, roadiefellowship.com, or on Instagram at roadiefellowship.